0: Now, mm-hmm. there's something to be said for learning to self-regulate, but it doesn't happen in isolation. So self-regulation mm-hmm. yeah. is learned through co-regulation first with a parent. And if that's not happening, then we we try to learn that with a therapist, with a partner, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I, th- I think it's an and both kind of mm-hmm. situation. I would never shame a parent for being like, time out. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> right. I, I just need this moment.
1: On this week's episode of the podcast, Morgan Wade and I discussed how the body holds onto memories. Morgan, a focalization practitioner, believes that healing is a return to wholeness. Together, we ask the question, What is change? And want to remind you that when we change, our relationship dynamics change as well. My biggest takeaway from our conversation today is that whatever is coming up within us is coming up for us. And to me, that means that the only way out is through through those emotions and experiences that caused the hurt. Our conversation also leads us into a story from my parenting where my daughter Madison told me once, dad, don't ever shake a baby. And after I stopped laughing, I realized how good of advice that really is. Morgan and I got the opportunity to uh, share and discuss how attachments with our caregivers form in childhood to inform our adult relationships. And we close out the episode with some scenarios where a parent can create a safe space for their child to form a secure attachment. If her message resonates with you today, please connect with Morgan on Instagram at hellohealing underscore, or through her podcast that she co-hosts at Club on Instagram. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Morgan Wade. Hi, Morgan.
0: Hi, how are you, Dave?
1: Wonderful. Thank you so very much. Thanks for joining me.
0: No problem. I'm happy to be here.
1: Let's just jump right into it. What do you say? Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Tell me about yourself first, and then I have just one burning question in my mind. Oh,
0: okay. (laughs) Well, I would consider myself a somatic healing practitioner, which essentially just means I work with the body. So anytime somebody is considering jumping into healing work, I would be one of those people that you might come to, but I work with the body. I work with the body's wisdom. I work with the body's messages. I work with unpacking and untangling all of the, I like to call them trauma knots that kind of get in the way of our authentic expression and our sense of belonging and safety. And um, ultimately I think my work figures heavily around uh, emotional, physical intimacy and I work largely with women
1: and that was really succinct so appreciate that introduction now now that you mentioned that those trauma knots okay i had a burning question in my mind and then all of a sudden i have another question in my mind so i know that you love love and awakening as a relationship book and you're talking about trauma knots have you read the body keeps the score oh yeah all right let's let's dig into that just a little bit Mm -hmm. um in in response to those trauma knots. Okay. How does the body store memories and trauma? Oh god.
0: <gasps> that's a really big question. How
1: many hours do we have yeah. to discuss that?
0: <laughs> um, you know, something that I would say is that I think it's different for every body and every body stores and processes traumatic experiences differently. So that's the first thing is, is that there's no regular but the next thing is that we do know that there are generally we know sort of how the body works and essentially what happens is you you the general you you know experience something that feels threatening or overwhelming it triggers a response in the nervous system and when i say trigger i mean that we'll will default into one of those we're familiar with fight or flight, right? But there's actually also freeze or fawn. Mm -hmm. And so during a traumatic experience, and that doesn't have to be what uh, Gabor Mate calls big T trauma. So physical trauma, car accidents, physical abuse, something like that could also be little T trauma. So that's really the body's response. It's what happens inside of us as a response to what's happening outside of us. So one of those four responses, fight, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn gets triggered. And then you've got a physiological response to an external event in the form of uh, energetic blockage. You, I mean, there's, there's so much to that, but essentially we get locked into certain patterns of overwhelm. And then it's almost like our bodies are a, uh, the needle on a record player and it gets set into a groove. And when something occurs in our external environment or even in response to a thought that we're thinking or a belief that we're holding, our bodies then default into one of those grooves and will we'll default into a certain set of um, automatic triggered fight, flight, freeze, or fawn responses and then that becomes our default, and so that's when somebody will come to me and say, "God, I don't really know like why I keep attracting um, an avoidant partner, uh, avoidant partners, or I have a lot of trouble um, expressing myself, and you know, I, I want to be in contact with my body, but I don't want to actually want to like look at my body or touch my body, <laughs> you know." So, generally speaking, that's mm-hmm. that's what happens.
1: Yeah, I knew that I would enjoy talking to you today <laughs> because of. I love the way that you describe that because it brings up a memory in my past where I'm in a room full of healers, right? Okay. I'm I'm joining this group uh, that I believed in wholeheartedly. I love the leader. I love the facilitator. And I'm in the room with all of these um, healers in different modalities, bodywork specialists and people like yourselves and people like me who are huge fans of the Enneagram, but it feels like a safe place. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, all these memories from 10 years before Mm -hmm. start flooding into my experience Mm -hmm. and the entire room just kind of shuts off from where I'm sitting.
0: Yeah.
1: And I don't think that anybody else in the room noticed my experience happening, Mm -hmm. but it was December of 2017 after my second breakup that year. And I'm like, all right, I need some help because these memories came flooding back to me after I hadn't even considered them uh, for the past 10 years. And like, okay, I need some help processing. Yeah. And it sounds like you're really passionate about helping people do that.
0: Oh, 100%. I mean, I think that, well, so what comes up first for me is when I hear you say, I felt like I was in a safe space. And then all of a sudden these memories came flooding back that's exactly what happens when we get into safe spaces. I mean, it's also what happens when we're in not safe spaces and we're really hyperactivated. Right. But in a healing relationship with your chosen practitioner, right. Or, or even within an interpersonal relationship that feels really safe, all kinds of stuff comes flooding to the surface exact precisely because your body's like, Oh, okay. I have, I have a chance here. I have an opportunity. So I really, really believe that whatever is coming up within us is coming up for us. It's for our benefit. Our bodies are incredibly wise. And for that matter, like our spirits are really wise too. So that larger essential self, soul, whatever you call it, there's sort of this in tandem relationship with what starts to come up. And when it does, it's so the timing of it is perfect. Your body is super, super smart. It really is just that we need the correct relational spaces, whether they be with a healing practitioner and within the context of interpersonal relationships, that's very helpful too. But yeah, I mean, as the deeper into this work I go, the more I'm seeing, oh, almost everybody is traumatized to some extent. And, you know, I'm using that word pretty generally um, traumatized but really what that means is that I I don't think I've ever met a human being aside from like I I saw the Dalai Lama speak when I was in my 20s I'm like maybe him but I've never I've never experienced another human who is in some way not fundamentally disconnected from the truth of who they are and it's a gradient you know it's not it's not an exact science but We all have blockages and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We've been really trained and domesticated away from the experience of emotion as a fluid reality and that being okay. And then we get really hard on ourselves. You know, there's, I call them psychic knives. They kind of turn back on us whenever a strong feeling emerges. And I really... I really believe in and love to have the experience with clients when I see their relationship with themselves change. And then everything outside of them sort of ripples out, you know, their relationships Mm -hmm. change and their general sense of okayness in the world changes.
1: Yeah, I totally, I totally believe in that wholeheartedly. Uh, The timing of everything, you're absolutely correct that like the only way out is through. And the timing of that experience that I shared was perfect timing for me because uh, within a month or two after that, I sought out counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to um, pursue the growth that I had felt in those moments of like, this is a need for me now.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it's almost like I'm no longer going to tolerate those repeated patterns in my life. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea how to take care of that myself <laughs> any yeah. longer. Yeah, through, through numbing or through negative coping skills or any other strategy that I was trying to use to quiet yeah. those internal voices. Right. And let's talk about those psychic knives that were just <laughs> like completely a hundred at a time, you know, yeah, yeah. That, were, that were just trying to catch my attention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Speaking of interpersonal relationships, how do we create a safe space where our partner can feel seen and heard. <laughs> That's a monster question, yeah. I know. <laughs> <like>. <laughs>
0: but I mean, it's a really valid—it's a really valid one. And you know, how do we create a safe space where our partner can feel seen and heard? You know, I think that to answer that question, if—if if we're really honest, okay, so we might have a really strong desire to provide that for our partners. And that's beautiful. That's, I mean, I really think that that's a huge part of what it means to be in sacred relationship with one another, regardless of the context of the relationship, right? We want to provide a space where specifically our partners can show up and be witnessed and celebrated for whatever they're bringing, you know? There's a, there's a few layers to that though, right? Because We're often, we as humans are often so displaced from our own inner experience that when something comes up in us and there's another person in the room, we're like, oh, it's your fault. You're doing, you're bringing this up, right? And so there's this, there's this interesting volleying back and forth of the energy of space holding that has to happen in my experience. And so to answer your question, well, how do we provide a safe space for our partners? Are we a safe space for ourselves? Do we have a bandwidth, a capacity within ourselves to hold and be with non-judgmentally what comes up in us? If we don't have that capacity, and we're all limited in that capacity to some extent because we're not enlightened, perfect beings, right? But if we don't have that capacity within ourselves to to witness, to watch, to hold, to have compassion for, and to really know how to be energetically, emotionally, compassionately present for ourselves, when something comes up in our partner, we're only going to have as much bandwidth for them as we have for ourselves. So the work really is within our own experience of, and because I work with the body, it's like our embodied experience of what does it feel like for me when something comes up for me? And not so much, why am I feeling this way, but how does it feel to feel how I'm feeling? And do I have a bandwidth, the capacity to hold myself? Because what I notice happens is that when we have that capacity within ourselves, something can show up when our partners, and we know uh, this is, they're being triggered, you know, there is something really strong or they're having a really strong reaction. There might even be some blame involved when we've done enough of our own work. We know we can actually kind of just sit back, hold unconditional loving presence for it. And it will naturally untangle. But if we're so wrapped up in our own triggery shit, that's going to (laughs) happen in our partner. And we're not going to be able to hold space for it because all it's doing is triggering our unwitnessed, unhealed, unheld stuff. You know what I mean? Mm
1: -hmm. I do. I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I can like replay five or six, you know, moments in my life where I'm like,
0: only five or six. (laughs)
1: Let's just say that I haven't let go yet. Uh uh (laughs) Right. Um, so what I hear you saying is that it starts with us first. And when we change our, dy- our relationship dynamic changes as well.
0: I would say, yeah. I mean, here's the thing though. And if, and if you'll just allow me this, I'd like to kind of unpack these ideas. <laughs> when we say change, like we, we have to kind of ask what that means, right? Change for who? Toward what? What, is, what are our desires? What are our intentions for our own healing? I don't know that I would call it change. I would say heal. When we are spacious, when we're a spacious being, we can show mm-hmm. the spacious for our partners. Mm-hmm. So okay. yeah, so the amount of space mm-hmm. that I have for myself, when anybody shows up in front of me, I'm going to have only that much space for them.
1: Right. It's not an exact uh,
0: science, but it, it basically works like that, you know?
1: I hear what you're saying for sure. And I was chatting with my new counselor yesterday. And as I'm getting to know him, as he's getting to know me, he's like, Dave, Self-acceptance and self-improvement are not mutually exclusive. They're actually a part and the same. You can be one and the other at the same time. So uh,
0: yeah, 100%. I heard you
1: say the word heal. <laughs> and in, um, okay, in my unprocessed shit over here, I'm like, <laughs> okay, do I need to heal? Am I broken? And I don't want people mm-hmm. to go to that spot that place that I went Uh to in that moment as well. And we intuitively might not know how to describe what our body is feeling like you were talking about earlier Uh or be able to tune into what our body is feeling, not in an intuitive way, but in a presence kind of a way. Uh And we know that we need something in our world. And that's why I use the word change is like, what do Uh I need to make different in my experience? And that word heal, yeah, is with the help of others, right? Um, through relationship, through.
0: I mean, it can be. It's not mm-hmm. healing. Healing is not. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting.
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: like what I'm hearing, and you mm-hmm. can totally stop me if you don't want to go here, but. No, let's do it. Is that there's a there's an association with the word heal as implying brokenness.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what I was uh, trying to unpack in the moment. Yeah, And I get, I get caught up all the time in recording podcasts of like, sure. oh, there's some more, there's some more stuff to take totally. a, a peek well, at. Right? Human, right.
0: Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah.
1: And the human condition is also to, to shy away from that and to numb that and to totally. not go into that Depth of the darkness that you can find there. So let's, let's rock and roll. Let's go there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, when I, when I think of healing, so actually one definition that I have of healing and I, and I believe this, this exists somewhere in the um, modicum of, of healing language is that healing is a returning to wholeness. So (laughs) just as an example, if you're having an experience with your partner and something is triggering the fuck out of you, then congratulations, you're human. First of all, there's nothing wrong with you. You've been trained. Literally your experiences have trained you to go into a threat response in, in response to something that's occurring in your outside world. So when I say heal, my implication for that is not, oh, you're broken. I'm, I'm talking about a return to wholeness. I'm actually talking about a reconnection with who and what we are authentically, which is, I mean, you know, this is where it, it starts to get a little bit woo-woo for some people, but it's space, it's spaciousness, it's permission. And loving is allowing. It's something that I work with in clients a lot, whether you're working with your significant other or because it starts so fundamentally within our own bodies and our own experiences. When we say, well, I'm, I'm working on loving myself, it, it, to your point, it's really I'm, I'm working with the practice of allowing who and what I am to be authentically expressed and, and present and seen first by me. And then hopefully with, you know, a worthy other, a worthy opponent, the partner.
1: Opponent. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like that. That's actually
0: a John Wellwood thing. Speaking of love and awakening, Mm -hmm. uh, worthy opponent is like, cause you kind of know, right. If you're in a relationship at some point, you're going to feel like you're duking it out, you know, but it's Mm -hmm. really like, are we at, can we, can we, do we have space for ourselves? And then when we get into those, you know, like throwing elbows (laughs) energetically, emotionally, whatever. And I'm I'm, clearly, I'm not talking about just outright throwing dishes and fighting and that kind of stuff. Cause I don't know if that's healthy, but um, when I say worthy opponent, I mean like somebody that when you're in conflict with your you can kind of feel that, oh yeah, we're, we're still well-matched and there's kind of like a heat there, you know, it's, it's uh-huh. like a, sort of a passion and a spark. And, mm-hmm. and there's that feeling that sort of underlies even a conflict that says like, we're gonna, this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I hear you right now. <laughs> this is going to be okay.
1: Right. Yeah. I understand that. And speaking of the Enneagram and the eight loves a good challenge mm-hmm. and we love a good conflict, and <laughs> um, I've had to understand and embody the difference between anger, which is oftentimes covering up another emotion, and uh, and a cleaner version of that. Of like, my anger right now is showing that a boundary has been crossed. It's communicating to me that there's been a boundary crossed. Totally. And f- for me. In people-pleaser phases of my life, I would shy away from that conflict, mm-hmm. but not so much in my healing journey have I been shying away from that conflict. So I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, something's coming up for me. Right. I'm not I'm not avoiding it uh, as in the past. I'm going to confront it and address it and become that worthy opponent
0: mm-hmm. as
1: opposed to the, the army that lays itself down.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, so many good words.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I noticed too when, when you said, you know, in your healing journey, you haven't been shying away from it, which is that return to wholeness. You're sort of, mm-hmm. okay, we could we'll just call it integration. If healing mm-hmm. is a triggery word, right, we can just call it integration. We're sort of gathering yeah. up the disowned, abandoned, rejected parts of ourselves and saying like, hey, you get to be here. What do you need?
1: hmm yeah, return to wholeness and through through a lot of NLP work that I did with my practitioner Thomas, it was so much fun to work on parts integration, mm-hmm. the returning those parts that had been severed from the whole. Uh, it sounds so like destructive, but that's yeah. what our subconscious does. It's like, okay, I'm not going to address that. I'm going to actually Uh, distance myself from that part that got hurt or that part that was afraid or that part that was angry and scared at one point in my life and reintegrating, which is a great Enneagram word too, Mm. integration, Mm -hmm. uh, reintegrating those parts back into my life helped me return towards wholeness. Mm
0: -hmm. That's beautiful.
1: It has been beautiful and also Uh, scary and rough and really (laughs) really (laughs) really fucking hard
0: (laughs) yeah it is and I think I think too that you know just I mean in speaking about the the large the huge spectrum of healing work it's I don't know if people are still thinking of of it as a sort of like love and light rainbows and puppies kind of experience, but that's (laughs) just not, that's just not Mm -hmm. what it is. You know, Mm -hmm. that reintegration process means that we're looking really honestly and really bravely at the parts of us that got abandoned and rejected because let's just keep it super real. Those parts of us were abandoned and rejected largely by the people that were raising us. So speaking of capacity, right? Like how do you hold space for your partner? Well, were you held space for as a child? Not you specifically, Dave, I'm not trying to therapize you, but it's a question that we can ask ourselves, you know?
1: Yeah, we certainly should.
0: We we only we tend to repeat those patterns of either integration and, a, and allowing and acceptance that we were shown. As little tiny beings, we don't have the capacity to cognitively cognitively be like, Oh, this is a part of myself I need to love and accept. Right? Mm-hmm. If a t- if a tantrum, if anger, if fear, if insecurity, if if righteous rage was suppressed, abandoned, rejected, if you were shamed for it, if you were blamed for it as a child, your body only knows how to do what was done for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, of course, we're that. Of course, that happened. We're not broken. We're we're a perfect model of what was given to us.
1: Correct, and we're we're not so alone on that either. Because as you're describing that, I'm like, I was just having this conversation with my roommate yesterday about yeah. like, hey Dave, uh, I was telling him, I'm like, I just got off that uh, Zoom call with my with my new counselor, and he's like, okay, I didn't know that you were seeing somebody new. What's up? And I'm like, I'm just unraveling what my childhood was like mm-hmm. because at 40 years old, I'm I'm facing. Uh, the patterns that I'm no longer going to tolerate in my life.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, I bring this up because uh, self-healing is a part of the process, like the work that we do while we're alone Mm -hmm. and while we're with our inner child, if that's the work you want to do, or if um, we're reintegrating those parts that were broken off from the whole Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and we're doing that on our own, it is so empowering and helpful Mm -hmm to have a guide along the way, like a counselor.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's super brave to, I I don't mean, I don't mean this condescendingly, but it's it's like sort of adorable to think that we can do it all alone.
1: Oh, that's so cute. Right.
0: It's it's sweet. It's like, (laughs) oh, yeah.
1: There's that child thinking. Yeah, uh...
0: (laughs) And also good luck. If you think you can avoid your childhood in doing that healing work, like seriously, I hope, I hope that you find what you need, but I don't know that that's really possible, you know? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be, I, I understand why we're sort of like a culture of avoidance. I get it. It, it feels a little kumbaya for, for a lot of people to be like, oh, I need to do inner child work. Like, fuck it. You know, I don't want to do that, right? But, but even that way of thinking is a disintegrated way Of thinking and feeling and approaching ourselves it's a real rejection of the those very sweet small tender young parts Mm. of us
1: Mm -hmm. yeah as i as i come up on a year anniversary of working with my current men's group men's work and the healing that i've seen there has been so impactful in my life because if we're if we're in a safe space with other men and it can be virtually and it can be in person it I find for myself it's equally uh, effective. Mm -hmm. Um, I've found over that course of that year that, okay, healing the masculine wound first, okay, I had a dad who traveled a lot as a child. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe that was the first wound that I needed to heal. And then as I peel back that layer, now we're looking even further into that childhood
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and uh, yes, we can start with the surface of like I just need to build better relationships with men, and that's a great place <laughs> like, to start. It right? is.
0: It, it truly is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then we go even late, even even deeper into that layer, and the and the men are asking these questions that are like, "Oh, now I'm going to go into my inner child work, which I never set out to do." Mm-hmm but I'm open to it because I I feel a need there Mm -hmm. that maybe I never felt like that need was being met as a child of like, hey, I have a voice too. Hey, I have opinions and I have have needs and I have hurt Mm -hmm. that I wanna explain. And what brought this up for me today is when you said tantrum. Mm -hmm. Well, children don't know how to verbalize and express in the language of an adult And so when they're feeling the frustration and the anger that is a valid emotion as a child, they're going to throw a tantrum instead of just, I need a 500 word essay on what you're feeling right now.
0: Right. Well, and Dave, like I love, I love that you're using that example actually because it it figures really heavily into working with the body body when doing trauma resolution or healing. And once again, I'm using trauma as a really broad word. It's just like what's got you fucked up. Like it doesn't really matter, right? But I love that example because you know the over intellectualization of feeling is a survival strategy. It is a coping skill. What you're seeing in a child who's tantruming is emotion being moved without judgment, without self-consciousness. They're not worried about processing it correctly. You know, of course, the parent is there to say, hey, don't don't hit, don't throw things. We don't do that. We're going to honor each other's bodies, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know not all of us had that experience. But what you're seeing is the pure expression and the movement of the energy of emotion in a child. It starts to become really twisted and toxic when it's been compacted and compounded, and the adult is forty-five years old and has never had permission to tantrum. Mm -hmm. I work with grown women where I'm like, "Go punch a fucking pillow, go!" You know, like it's it's really actually important that we learn how, in my language and in the in the work that I do around embodying this kind of healing, is that we you know, I'll I'll be with working with a client and, and, and she's talking and she's talking and she's talking and I'm like, stop, Mm -hmm. stop talking. Mm -hmm. What, without judgment, what would your body do right now? And and the woman will be like, I want to lie. I want to like kick something. I want to like scream or punch. And then we have to go into, well, it's your domestication. It's the, whoa, whoa. I I don't do that. That you got as a child that tells you like, it's what, it's not okay to move your body. You're not hurting anybody. You're not hurting Mm -hmm. anything. We have this incredible and really sad aversion to strong emotion, like it's actually really exhausting for our nervous systems to be constantly hyper explaining something and conceptualizing Mm -hmm. and intellectualizing it. You tantrum for five minutes, you're going to move way more energy than you would in like six months of therapy, just sitting there talking about it on a couch with your legs crossed and your hands in your lap.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love that. And I'm seeing a lot of new members in our jujitsu gym. One, because it's safer to be in, in a place like that, but also it's the beginning of the year and we're seeing a lot of people uh, take charge of their physical well being and their um, physical health. So I'm seeing a great mixture of men and women in the room, both in jujitsu and the Muay Thai and kickboxing program. And I can imagine that an hour of a kickboxing class for man or woman, masculine or feminine, would do a whole hell of a lot of good in combination with that talk therapy and uh, being in a safe space, like with a woman's group or a men's group. And I just I just see the emotion that's held and expressed mm-hmm. in those moments, mm-hmm. both with my teammates that I'm out with in jujitsu and then the sound and just the... The pure joy and love of expressing that emotion from our our kickboxing classes.
0: Yeah, well, and what I'm hearing you say is that it's it's the conscious expression of it. It's using that, not that everybody who's coming into a jujitsu gym is doing that, and that's totally okay. Like whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But that combination of movement and intentional conscious expression, absolutely. I incorporate movement into my practices and my work with clients in a really, really big way, both in while I'm in session with clients and classes that I teach. And and then you could call it homework or assignments that I give. And what I notice is that, I mean, just speaking to that, you know, there's, it's so common, but there's this desire, well, I really want to move this. I really want to heal this. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, put on some music, um, scream into a pillow, take it I'll give instructions on how to build a, a safe, you know, PVC pipe baseball bat where you can like knock some shit out. And then somebody will be like, well, I don't don't wanna do that. Mm -hmm. Like, well, (laughs) no, like, you know, like if your body is wanting to do it, like it's really, really important that we find these safe ways for our bodies to do what they naturally wanna do. And this is what we know about trauma resolution and what we see when, when you go into any kind of trauma training facilitation, what they'll talk about is what happens in the natural world To animals in the wild who are off-gassing traumatic experiences. Their bodies do this stuff naturally. And we are fundamentally, we still have that old brain. We still have the brainstem. We still have the amygdala. At our most core primal level, we are that. It's just that Mm -hmm. we've been trained and domesticated out of the natural working, like our nervous system naturally working itself out. So we have to create spaces where we can initiate that for ourselves i mean we don't have to but if if you want to in my opinion be really integrated and embodied and embody that healing and that return to wholeness you can't not involve the body right and to do it consciously Mm -hmm. exactly you're exactly right it's it's incredibly healing and it moves stuff way faster than sitting around and talking about it
1: yeah once a week maybe every other, every other week you know with uh with as busy as our network of counselors and therapists are recently thank god mm-hmm. but um but i don't want to i don't want to necessarily steer too far away from a key point that i'm hearing that i would love to talk about more and we're facing these challenges as adults and we have these emotions and feelings and memories coming back to us i want to go back to the children throwing a tantrum mm-hmm. and our, our, resp- uh, I have an 18 year old daughter, so I'm going to, um, pull from the context of my parenting experience here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And looking back on my parenting, if my daughter were to have thrown a tantrum, I don't feel as if I was conscious enough to recognize that she really just wanted to be heard in that moment. And right. Right. she just didn't know how to express herself. Right. And, yeah, and I, she
0: doesn't need to. Right. Like
1: uh-huh.
0: at that age, it's not, it's not age appropriate for her to be like, daddy, I'm feeling upset. And you know, that, that'd be like really weird. Right. If she, you, you see that in a child, you see a child who's parentified, which means they're taking on attributes of mm. their adult caretakers. They're, they're actually not age appropriately expressing themselves it's not appropriate for a very small child to be sitting down and having a cognitive resonance with what they're Mm -hmm. feeling they're just there to express and at the most basic level so are we Mm -hmm. we learn how to do that in different ways and in more integrated and you know and and get into a conversation about consciousness i know that's not where we're going necessarily but yeah of course you weren't conscious enough for that when when she was very little
1: you know Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't oftentimes just give up straight advice On the Mm -hmm. podcast. We're we're Mm -hmm. thinking in concepts and we're thinking in ideas and we really want our audience Mm -hmm. to think. This is a really good opportunity to use my own experience of my my daughter showing emotions that I didn't know how to Mm -hmm. um, hold the safe space for her and a container for her to express herself as a child and age-appropriate behavior. And looking back on it, I've, I've heard a few things of like framing questions for children of like what happened as opposed to why did you do that mm. because of their inability to express like why? Well, why is a really big concept for a five-year-old.
0: For sure.
1: However, they can really articulate and re- recreate the story by, hey, what happened? Mm before you hit your cousin or before you threw that matchbox car or whatever the scenario that's from my childhood my cousin and i were all right (laughs) my cousin and i were only a year apart and we threw some things at each other for sure (laughs) in conflict and i recall like parenting would always be like why did you hit your cousin oh i don't know he made me mad you know it's very simple but like Uh, looking back on my parenting of my daughter and taking opportunities to connect more with her as she was showing that frustration of calming my nervous system first, uh, being conscious and embodied here, taking care of myself first, and then just, I think you said letting it untangle or letting it unravel on its own. If I do that here first, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then my child, she's now 18 and a freshman in college, but allowing my daughter to unravel and untangle in my presence. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, what I, what I, how I think I would frame that in terms of practice is that the child gets to have the experience of nothing that I am or feel is a problem. I'm not a problem because I'm frustrated, I'm angry, and I'm having this emotional reaction. It's really, there's this, there's this gorgeous video, actually, that went pretty viral. viral. I want to say I saw it for the first time about a year ago. And... The video is of a father with his very small child. So maybe the the child's like 18 months old. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've seen this. Yes. He's he's a body worker actually. Uh So he, he works somatically, which is, I think is just incredible because it kind of shows that he knew inherently what to do with this child. So the child is throwing this incredible tantrum, so much emotion moving through Mm -hmm. this body and this the child sometimes wants to be held is sort of like pushing or pulling away. And then you start to get into attachment stuff and what's happening mm-hmm. in the development of secure attachment, you're like watching it happen. Mm-hmm. This father just stays on the down on the floor with this child. And as much as this child wants to be held child's health if the child wants some distance he gives her distance and then eventually over a long period of time her nervous system calms and she comes in for a hug and she's being mm-hmm. held and rocked I don't know about you but I saw that and and wept and both for at the time recognizing oh, wow I, I didn't I definitely didn't get that that's not how mm-hmm. I you know felt and simultaneously watching this father respond to his daughter I think it's a daughter um her experience of just having a completely innate instinctual emotional response to something that was upsetting for her little body. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't trying to talk her out of it. He wasn't trying to fix it. He wasn't trying to distract her with toys or food or TV Mm -hmm. or whatever. He was just present.
1: Mm -hmm. I do remember this video. It It was shared in our men's group. And I remember it so vividly that I was almost working through my own things of parenting and childhood mm-hmm. in the moment with him. And it brings me back to a really funny story of my daughter. Okay. She's probably two or three, maybe something like that. And she's in the backseat of my Jeep. And I'm I'm looking for a used softball glove for a season coming up with my sister and brother-in-law. And I pull up to a stoplight, talk to a plate against sports on the phone and then hang up the phone. And Madison from the backseat is like, hey, dad, I'm like, yes, Maddie, what's up? She's like, don't ever shake a baby. (laughs) Because that commercial had been on the radio while I was on the phone. (laughs) I hang up the phone and she really wanted me to know that she was listening to this commercial. And I had to give it five minutes of laughter. I missed the full cycle of the light (laughs) because I was laughing so hard. And this was a moment in my parenting life that i enjoy holding on to so much Mm. and then i look at uh, this gentleman just basically holding space for his toddler Mm -hmm. who cries and cries and cries and cries and then what came up for me when i watched the video a lot of emotions but this this reflection on boundaries between parent and child Mm. and I'm using the story of my daughter reminding me, don't ever shake a baby. And in that moment, if the parent cannot be as resilient and as centered and as in his own body as that parent was, there can be a boundary set between the parent and the child after a certain amount of time of like. I don't know how to handle this Mm -hmm. any longer. So what I'm going to do as the parent is take space and make sure that both of us are safe. Hmm. And that's appropriate. I think that's an appropriate parenting choice if we're coming to the point of awareness of like, I don't know what to do next as a parent.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I'm not a parent. That's the first thing Mm -hmm. that I'll say. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't come to the inquiry from the place of the parent, um, what I hear is really something that I am hearing is that it, it's really beautiful actually making sure that both both parents and child are safe physically, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm hearing is the very reasonable reality of a parent having their own limits, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> nobody's going to be a perfect parent all of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that I think that parents deserve a lot of grace for like doing what they can with what they have when they have it, <laughs> you know, um, from an attachment and mm-hmm. trauma informed perspective, I would, I would disagree with the, like leaving a, a tantruming or crying child alone And I really just say that from the perspective of, well, what's happening inside that child when that happens, when say a toddler is having this extreme emotional response and the parents say, I guess in the scenario that you're suggesting, I'm imagining the parent like leaves the room and is just sort of like has left the child to their own experience. What what we know about attachment is mm-hmm. that it actually will interrupt secure attachment, and what and what I'm hearing too is that within the parent they've reached a band a bandwidth limit they've reached a yeah an inner limit and a capacity is like ah like their own mm-hmm. nervous system is mm-hmm. just ramped ramped up right I and I and I see this very gently because I'm not I'm not a parent but what I also hear is that the parent has decided that their own Like, I can't handle this comes before the fact that they have a child who literally doesn't have any other resource and any other support. Mm -hmm. Now there's something to be said for learning to self-regulate, but it doesn't happen in isolation. So Mm -hmm. self-regulation is learned through co-regulation first with a parent. And if that's not happening, then we we try to learn that with a therapist, with a partner, you know, that kind of thing. Mm So I I I think it's an and both kind of Mm -hmm. situation. I would never shame a parent for being like time out. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) I I just need this moment. Um, but I think that my I guess my hope is that parents are learning or that their desire is to be educated in terms of how their behavior and their capacities are impacting and influencing the next generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, we're talking about the creation of a compassionate world at the most Mm -hmm. macro level, right?
1: Mm -hmm. And on the micro level as well. Yeah. Yeah, One-on-one with a parent and a child.
0: Right. And that little one doesn't have any, that little one can't be like, yo, mom, I just need a break. I mean, maybe they could (laughs) if they're verbal, right? Mm -hmm. But that little one is being left.
1: Yeah. I think you brought it home there with a very well-articulated point of a both and situation of, mm-hmm. of like a, a common parenting um, technique mm-hmm. with a crying child or a tantruming child was go to your room. And yeah. your point of like no. self-regulation doesn't happen in uh, isolation. It happens in co-regulation first with another person, right. preferably a parent. So you're spot on with the end result of an attachment, uh, not be, uh, not being established insecure in childhood. And that's a huge, a huge topic of conversation within our group and our community is mm-hmm. attachment style. And, and I really appreciate the way that you uh, articulated both sides really, really well um, to a story and to a point that, mm-hmm. uh, that was shared. I really appreciate it. And if your message resonates with our audience, what's the best way for them to get hold of you?
0: My, my website is hellohealing.net. So there's all of the official stuff, ways to contact me. And then I'm on Instagram at Hello Healing. And there's two underscores after that. Those are the best mm-hmm. ways.
1: And you host a podcast as well by the same I do. name?
0: No, the podcast is called Dead Hearts Club.
1: Oh, Dead Hearts Club. Okay.
0: Dead Hearts Club. Yeah. And it's mm. I'm co-hosting it with uh a- dear friend of mine, Bria Anderson, who's genius, also beautiful, she's an embodied dance teacher. So she's very embodied as well. And the podcast is mainly around uh, living really vulnerably. The way, the reason that it's called Dead Hearts Club is that we kind of found ourselves in this experience together some time ago where we were practicing being so vulnerable, you feel like you want to die. And we're like, okay, well, this is it, Dead Hearts, let's do this. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, I've been there before. Uh, My partner and I call it a vulnerability hangover.
0: Oh, (laughs) the
1: the next morning of just like wow, we spent a lot of energy talking last night, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that was her phrasing, and I've I've definitely stepped into it and um, adopted it as well because that's a true feeling that we had uh, a few mornings after long nights of talking and conversing and being vulnerable. And if you want to, if there was one thing that you would leave us with today that we touched on briefly, or you want to expand on, what would that be?
0: You know, I think that it feels really important to anchor into when, when we're thinking about the idea, the concept of change, is that it really originates in the desire for what we want. And intention carries that momentum, I think, a lot further and in a lot more authentic way. Than the idea or the concept of change or how we think we should be or want to be, but really like what's authentic for me, what's my desire, and is that desire inspiring self responsibility in terms of how we want to show up for ourselves and for our partners so it's this combination of self-honesty desire and intention and, and really um taking aligned action and 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 kind of getting out of the head too i would say getting out of the head and into well how do i want to be expressed how do i want to feel within myself and in my relationships
1: mm-hmm. yeah thank you very much for sharing that i love it thanks Dave. yeah of course thanks for joining me today and let's let's catch up in the next six to twelve months to see where okay. you're at sounds good Thank you again for listening to this episode with Morgan Wade. If her message resonates with you today, please connect with her on Instagram at hellohealing underscore or through her podcast, Dead Hearts Club. If you found a ton of value out of today's podcast episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a five-star review. Write us out a little bit of written feedback because we would love to hear what what your big takeaways were from today's episode. If you're not already doing so, please follow us on Instagram at believe, be real, be bold. Connect with us there because we love engaging in conversations with our audience about what topics we should discuss next on the podcast. This is Dave Glazer in Denver, Colorado, wishing you health and happiness wherever you're at in the world.